The subject for the evening talk is what about the present? One of the areas which we begin to notice in our relationship to life is how easily the form, the structure which is around us makes its impact on our on our mind. And the form seems to and structure, whatever the situation that we are in, seems to register itself very easily and very quickly. And so, here we find ourselves in the world and going through life, and we could say that each time we're in a particular situation, that situation, the form of it, the impression of it, registers itself on our consciousness. It really makes an impact. And this impact that it has leaves, it seems, like a, a residue, a, a trace, a, a mark, a memory. And when you and I have something which we're very interested in and we're giving a lot of time and care and observation and attention to whatever that is, whether it's work, whether it's leisure, whether it's relationship, whether it's social action, whether it's retreat or whatever, the situation, the form of it, the presentation of it, touches. And it touches, so to speak, beyond just the, the brain cells. It, it touches our being, it touches our sensitivities in quite different ways. And we know that some of these, we the residue, what's left, shall we say, is quite unpleasant, quite painful. And when we find ourselves in somewhat different situations, but a little similar, the old memory, the residue from the past, begins to, so to speak, come into the present and affect the way we regard the present. And then there are other forms and impacts and impressions which we experience in which the experience of it is very pleasant in some way or other. And the pleasantness of it leaves its impact. The memory, it's like soaked inside of us in some way. And as one would expect, in a way, we wish to repeat it, to have that again. And so, what we experience as unpleasant 
sorry, what we have in the past experienced as unpleasant or as pleasant and which has had quite some impact on us does seem to influence the way we look at the present. And we know sometimes when something quite strong has happened to us in a particular day, it might be very exciting, thrilling, pleasing, wonderful, or it might be very sad and difficult or, or very painful or anxious or whatever, that very frequently, as soon as we have these experiences, strongly pleasant or strongly unpleasant, very quickly a memory comes in, not always, of, oh, I had this before. I remember when. And the memory and those impressions and the present very, very easily get mixed in together, get fused in together. And fused in together in a way which we don't really, I think, ever really know. What's really just the present experience? What, and what's really the past experience? Or the mixture of the two? I don't... We might say things come to be, if you can follow, in a certain way, but whether we can really say absolutely, well, this is just the present, this pleasantness, this painfulness, this excitement, this joy, this pleasure, this hurt, this sadness, or whatever. I don't know if we can ever really say, well, that's just the present. Or if we can ever say, what I am experiencing now is just the past coming up. So it doesn't seem like there's a clear, to me anyway, a clear division, a clear black and white between what is past and what is present. And I think there's something valuable and liberating about this, and I'll touch on that in a moment or two. The other is also with regard to the future. As one is in a particular situation over a period of time, and one begins to perceive the form, it's very uh, useful to, uh, I think, to understand, understand this. And after a number of days, we through the registration, we begin to see the form. The form we put into the general word, the retreat. Once we have the retreat, then we must have what is not the retreat, obviously. Since I have no intention in spending the rest of my life in this place, and I hope you're intelligent enough not to want to spend the rest of your life here. 
<laughs> so, once the form uh, is registered under the general label of the retreat, then we have going into the retreat through the impression, through the form, through the language, through the frame in the mind, and then we have the impression of going out. Sometimes the impression of going in brings its own worries and fears and excitements and uh, agitations. And sometimes the impression of going out brings, it, brings them as well. And then we think, when we leave, two days' time, I have to go back to the Berlin Wall or where, I, where everyone goes. <laughs> but as soon as one leaves to go out, then it seems like no retreat. Then the question comes, how do I carry? What's here? What's happening for me? What's happened to me? What I'm seeing? What I'm going through? Or what I'm realizing? Or whatever. How do I carry this into the Berlin Wall or wherever one lives? I have an extremely good joke about the Berlin Wall, but I shan't tell it, but I'll tell it at the end of the day. I thought it was extremely funny. Oh, no. One must pay full respects to the wandering mind. It, you can forget so easily where you are. All right. So there's this situation where one's got the form of the retreat and then one has got being out of. Once we have that, then we have major differences between being here and being somewhere else. And those differences, because of impressions, nothing else, only impressions, those impressions seem to be very real. What we notice with our thinking processes, and obviously the future only takes place in thinking, it can't obviously take place anywhere else, and similarly with the, the, the past, and the present too in fact, and I'll touch on that in a moment, and sometimes when we experience in life being out of what we call out of touch with ourself means in a way a lack of awareness about the condition of being. The lack of awareness of the states of mind and body. The lack of awareness of knowing potential, capability, um, but, um, what is possible, where we are in knowledge, experience, understanding at this point in our life. That self-knowledge is all about that. Now at times we can be <coughs> quite <coughs> pardon me, out of touch with this knowledge about ourselves, real understanding of our where we are, what we have, as the old texts say, 
come to be. When we are out of touch, we can compensate for this through thinking about ourselves, which is not emerging from where we are. It emerges from a projection of how we would like to be. And once we have this, we are in fact disassociated from the past, because we don't have this personal historical sense of where we are, what we have come to be. We are disassociated from the present of just what is the fact of one's existence right now. And thought then leaps into the future, which is as vast and unknown as one can imagine. And with this thought in the future, one can speculate and hope and fear and project and plan, and it can have only a little relationship to the present. And then we wonder why we experience in life feelings of failure. Feelings of nothing is going right in my life. Feelings of not achieving the goals which I have set myself up for. Not being able to get what I really want from life. And half the time, we don't even know what we want from life. So we get disappointed because we don't get what we don't even know what we want. If you can follow that convoluted English. We get disappointed because we don't get what we want. But we don't know what we want, so we get disappointed because we don't get what we want. <laughs> I can't understand that, so I'm sure you... <laughs> so, being out of touch leads to failure, feelings of... There's no thing as failure in life, it's a interpretation. Feelings of failure, feelings and thoughts of not succeeding, of things going wrong, of things not turning out as I want. And to quite some degree that is due to not being right here with who we are and what we are. That's one factor. And the other factor or factors is we forget as has been mentioned a number of times over the days, what I repeat ad nauseum is called dependent arising. Which means in order for there to be a result, a fruit, an uh, end to whatever, there must be the conditions for that. And since these conditions cannot be created by self, I can't make the fruits in life that I want all by myself. Therefore, there are countless variables, countless conditions to enable a fruit to occur. 
One of them is understanding what is called this process. And even when we do understand, even when we're very in touch with ourselves and we know what we can do, and we have some sense of what we can't do, we know what it means to take risks, we know what exploration is, even with all the favourable work with regard to present and future, we still have never, in this extraordinary planet, any assurance or guarantee that therefore fruit will come because beneficial fruit because I engage in beneficial action. <coughs> because sometimes we don't simply don't perceive the fruit. The fruits may well come, but the seeds that we sow may come generations ahead. Long after you and I are under the ground pushing up daisies. Sometimes some things have to be translated because it's my terrible English. As you know, the English are, uh, are a lazy lot and when it comes to learning foreign languages, their laziness reaches its peak. So, so we then we ask ourselves, well, what is this retreat? Because at the present time, disregarding, so to speak, future considerations and past considerations, then we're left with the present. And then when we look at this present, what is this present? Now as one person um, said, to, said to me in one of the meetings, she said, I realised I was sitting here in, the, in this room and she said, I realised I had so much resistance to being here. So much resistance to being here. She said, it's my first uh, retreat and um, <coughs> so I just, I didn't know really if I, first, if I really wanted to be here. So then I said, well, what, what do you mean when you don't want to be here? Well, she said, I don't know if I want to be here in this retreat, in this form, I have a child at uh, home, and etc, etc. Et so, upon asking a little further, and this is a common situation, what being here meant was being here in the retreat. And that seems perfectly obvious. So, the question which I asked then was, can we be here without a retreat? And I think we can. I think we can give up the retreat. And what happens is, as I pointed out, the resistance comes 
And I don't think the resistance comes to being here because I think we are already here. And I think it's going to take a lot of working out how one can have resistance to being here when one is already here. It's like saying, I, uh, I'm having resistance to my hand being on the end of my arm. I wish it was on the end of my knee. I mean, the mind can have all sorts of resistances. And the mind is capable of the most incredible resistances and, res and scenarios. But, whether there are likes or whether there are dislikes, like it or not, this is where we are. And we can't just lift ourselves out of it and say, well, I'm not here. And even all the circulating scenarios of thought and fantasy and projection is all going on here. It's all going on in this room. So sometimes when we look and we say there is resistance, what the resistance is about is not so much perhaps being here, but it's the form of being here. And once we have the form, and the form of the um, idea, I've just dismissed a thousand years of Greek philosophy in the last two minutes. Once we have the belief in the form of the idea, and the reality of the idea, and the reality of the form, then all sorts of reactions can take place. And once we have that, then we've got a problem because then we've got its opposite. Once we've got retreat form as the idea, the central idea, then we've got no retreat form. And then we've got the idea of how am I going to carry from one to the other? And I don't think it is possible. I'm sorry to say. I don't think you can carry something out of a retreat and put it into somewhere else. I don't think we can carry anything in life. But perhaps what we can explore is whether there is a retreat in the first place. And if there's no retreat then there's no problem because there's nothing to carry, is there? So what's the marks of this retreat? Where is this retreat? Is it the sensation in the contact with the cushion? <laughs> I mean, is this the first time in our life we've ever sat down? You know, we're, do we work at our desks standing on our head? Where is this? There is the mark, the sign of the retreat. Is it the fact that other people are in a room, sitting as well? You know, have we ever been on a bus? 
Now we say, oh, the retreat is not talking. Well, hasn't, they, hasn't one ever been on the, the underground or walked in the street, gone to the shops and back and not said a word to anybody? And we say, oh no, no, it's getting up early. That's what a retreat is, that's the difference. <laughs> Well, you decide to get up at this time. And one or two mornings I woke up and I thought, well, it's all right for these people, but in England it's an hour earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so the images and the residue and the ideas keep making a difference. And if we can perhaps begin to see where perhaps this difference it, and the idea that goes with the difference isn't as real as we imagine, then perhaps being here is just being here. Perhaps retreat's nothing more than some ideas. Perhaps it doesn't really exist out there in the way that we think. And perhaps what we've done, we've taken a few of our brain cells and we've put an image around an enclosed space and we retreat, ah yes, that's what I do instead of going to the Costa Lotta or something. Go to the Costa Bravo. They call it Costa Lotta in England because it costs a lot to go to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get this, this idea, I won't go there, I'll go into a retreat for a few days. And that form, that kind of impression in the brain registers in such a way that one does have a divided world inside. And once we have that, then we do have the problem of getting this from A into B and planting it in B. And I think rather than be worried and concerned and bothered with all of that, Let's look at A. Let's look at what is the present and let's see that. Let's, go, let's, let's just see where the assumptions are. Let's see if there's some freedom and liberation that we can discover right now. And it's extraordinary in the way that the mind moves. If one analyzes it, and remember, when I'm speaking of the retreat situation, I'm also speaking of the work situation, of the home situation, of the study situation. Whatever situation in life we regard as having a primary form, which we think is important, that's the measure, what we think is important, that when we have that as a primary idea, then we have a relationship to it, then we have a problem. And therefore, say, in, in, if I say the word retreat, I could easily say the word the office, the factory, the doll queue, the relationship, the, the home, the children, whatever, whatever it is. So we're just taking the retreat, because that's what's present. And when one looks, the idea of the retreat, 
we can say, yes, there is a retreat on. And it would be daft to say there isn't one on, really. But we can look and we can say, no, there isn't. There are just some people, some sitting and walking and eating and being indoors and being outdoors and sometimes speaking and sometimes not speaking. Ah, where's the retreat? So we can say, yes, there is a retreat. We can say, no, there is a retreat. Or we can say, the other alternative is, we can say, well, there's both. They're both? Then which part is the retreat and which part isn't? And the other alternative is to say, ah, it's neither. There's neither a retreat on, neither, it's neither yes to retreat or, or no to retreat. And there's no, what other alternatives are there to view it? And the mind can go one way, or the other, or the other, or the other. What does that say? Does it say anything about what's happening, or does it really say something about the way the situation is be being looked at? So, in what is called spiritual language, or Dharma language, if you just see the form, which is called the retreat, or whatever the scenario is, which is important, then it might be useful to see the emptiness of the form. It might be useful to see that actually there is no retreat. So that in the way we look, we're not taking up a fixed position. And it seems to me that every opportunity is possible here for us, for, lib for liberation. For example, you're in a role, somebody else is in another role. Their role seems very important. Your role doesn't seem so important. <laughs> <laughs> so this is form. This is, this, is an, this is an idea. Ideas from some, some memory. That who is in front of me is mummy or daddy or teacher or doctor or dentist or... <laughs> Buddha or, you know, somebody. <laughs> So once one has this form, this, I this idea, then one can't see the no form. Unless we really, really take a stop and really check it out and, and really, really look at it. Whoever the person is, whatever the person is,
the differences we make between human beings are only the differences we make between human beings. And I think it is quite refreshing when we express the willingness to go to a form or a role, the same thing, and treat that person or that group or that situation very easily and comfortably. And just walk in and communicate as one person to another, as one friend to another and not have any concern uh, about the form or to walk in and say well right now I'm feeling nervous seeing you and talking with you I'm feeling nervous about this job interview or whatever but actually it's got nothing to do with you it's just some old feelings that are rising and you're just a bloke sitting in the chair and I couldn't care less if I got the job <laughs> and I think that can be quite refreshing for some of these personnel officers to hear this <laughs> And even better, these various Buddhas and Bhagawans and <laughs> all these others. And so when we begin to see through the form and through the role and through the structure and everything, then I think there's a being in touch with ourselves and there's a realism that goes <coughs> with it. There's a genuineness. And that I call liberating. That is, that, that seems to me freeing. And in that respect, it seems to me we need to be, as it were, as free from the enlightened as free from the, the, the brutal and the tyrannical and the exploitive. You need to be free in all the directions equally. And sometimes what we notice and what happens is when we get grounded, so to speak, with the present, very easily, if you sometimes, as you, some of you report, being settled and uh, clear and uh, steady in the present moment, and feel that certain trust and um, confidence and certain sense of okayness, being here, not at retreat or anything like that, but just being here. And what can then? leave as a residue. And it's a very understandable one and many spiritual systems and interpretations get built up on this, is that somehow the present is very substantial. The present is very real, very uh, valid, it's English words they would say immutable. It's just, it's steady as a rock and it's just the song and dance that we go through with it that makes us have problems. 
And so then out of that comes spiritual interpretations. One of them is the eternal now. And there are many others. And I just wonder, actually, whether that's quite the case. Because if we look at now, the present moment, the present event, experiences, what we perceive in it is all these different things. And the form and the space and the events taking place. And all these present things, so to speak. Well, none of them are going to last. All subject to coming and going, coming and going, and so forth. And even that which seems to last longer, you know, like the moon, the sun and the earth, in time it will come and it will go and da-da-da-da. And so I can't see anything one could say, well, the, un the present is real and it's substantial and it's uh, eternal or whatever. I think it's just a view, it's a kind of speculation. But also, when we speak like that, it's then also that we're removing the past. And if there's any relationship at all between the past and the present. And we can't see an obvious relationship. You know, what's, look at this object, this, this body, this blanket, this microphone. What's past? What's present? Who's going to make the difference? If you say the past is not there, the conditions are not there, it's <coughs> one view. <coughs> if, you say, if, you say the, if you say the past is there, you say, well, where is it? So even in the relationship, even in the experience of the present, and that's all we've got is empirical actuality, just the experience of the present, we can't really see it's solid, it's unchangeable, it's immutable, it goes on forever and ever. So we, we, perhaps the, <coughs> the communication to us from this field of dependent arising is that it's hopeless trying to take hold of the past and grasp onto it and work it out because all that we've got is memory. It's the only way that we can think of past is memory and image and idea and how precise, how true is the memory to the experience. How do we know that what we're recalling is actually what happened. Since what we're recalling and what's happening now, millions of things have taken place and have run through those memories. So how do we know we can remember anything accurately, precisely? And similarly with regard to the future thoughts that occur, we, we can't really rely that the way I think is the way it will be. And similarly, the way things have come to be for you, for us, for here and now, one can't say, therefore, this is the way things are. We can't even find a retreat here. 
So even what makes up the present, what we think makes up the present, we can't really find because we don't know what's present, what's past, what lasts, what doesn't last. So it seems to me that there's nothing in this whole phenomenal appearance to take hold of anywhere. Nothing that one can grasp onto and say, got it, this is it. Not future, for sure, it's very obvious. Not past, that's fairly obvious. But equally, not present. And I don't regard that as, oh dear, bad news. Which one for a look at it, say, oh, I've spent my whole life trying to find something to hang on to and, and can't see anything anywhere to hang on to. <clears throat> Not being able to see anything to hang on to is beautiful. It, it seems... To me, it's wonderfully liberating. Because if there's really nothing to hang on to, then the mind will come to peace. But not only the mind will come to peace, but also the objects will be allowed to come to peace. Because we won't keep disturbing them by hanging on to them. Actually, finding peace gives, gives peace. And the objects will be incredibly pleased. And we don't keep interfering with them because we keep hanging on to them. So not holding on to every, anything. Things fall, shall we say, fall back into their own nature, which is peace. All things, beautifully, actually have the nature of peace. That's just beautiful. So freedom and peace are separable from each other. May all beings see into the present. May all beings see through the form. May all beings live in peace. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we?